Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. A warm welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio on every third Tuesday of the month. Today, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be speaking about a very interesting topic of meditation redefined in King Yoga. I'm sure we are all looking forward to hear their insight on this, so without further ado, I hand you over to Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> Warm welcome. Hello, to everybody. Hi, Richard. Warm welcome to you and also to Noemi, Noemi Bates who's back here again to produce the show today instead of Nikki, Nikki Parrott, who's unable to do it this week. So thank you very much, Noemi, for producing the show today. Thank you, Noemi. Today I'm going to be interviewing my co-host, Richard Lawrence, about an inspiration he had regarding that much-used and often misunderstood word, meditation. This he calls meditation redefined in King Yoga. King Yoga, as regular listeners know, is the spiritual path of the Assyria Society as defined by our master, Dr. George King. But first of all, I want to let listeners know about a very intriguing development. In the last week, we have been in contact with the media in the UK and the USA about a fascinating in-depth conversation that Richard had in 1997 with the now late Sir Peter Horsley. Now, Sir Peter was the equerry or personal aide to His Royal Highness Prince Philip. He joined the royal household in around 1950. His conversation with Richard was about what he regarded as an alien encounter that he had at a flat in Chelsea in London in 1954. This meeting had been arranged for Sir Peter by a general called General Martin and a lady called Mrs. Markham. You may have heard or or read in the media, especially in the last few days since the passing of Prince Philip on April the 9th, about his long-standing interest in the whole topic of UFOs. And one of Sir Peter's responsibilities was to pass on to Prince Philip credible UFO sightings. And this often entailed Sir Peter contacting high-ranking individuals. And during the conversation with Richard, Sir Peter gave an in-depth information about this encounter and Richard was among the first and probably the first I think to reveal the full account of this intriguing story and on August the 26th 1997 that year the story appeared with quotes from Richard on the front page of one of the most popular national newspapers in England the Sun so Richard Can you please explain to the listeners what this was all about and the background to this intriguing encounter and where we can find out more about it also? Yeah. Well, thanks, Chrissy. I mean, first of all, there has been a lot of interest in every aspect of Prince Philip lately, especially over here, but I believe in other parts of the world as well. And this is one of them that gets overlooked a lot, his interest in UFOs and alien life. And uh, so, as you can imagine, we've had some media interest and uh, I've been on talk shows and so on. Um, But the whole story of Sir Peter Horsley and his meeting with an individual by the name of Mr. Janus, who Sir Peter believes 
was from another world. That's the what he told me he, in his autobiography, which came out after I spoke to him. He does put this as the most likely option. He says there are other options, but that seems to him, having had this encounter, the most likely. And I just want to stress that Sir Peter Horsley was a very, very credible and trusted person by the British establishment. Uh, he became an air marshal. He was number two in the Royal Air Force here. He had his finger on the nuclear button at the end. He was a highly respected person, and his account should really be taken seriously. But you know what it's like when somebody comes up with something like this, they suddenly raise their eyebrows, and, and, and the Ministry of Defence in particular didn't like it at all. So I spoke to him from the Bahamas. He retired, went to the Bahamas, and then revealed this. Interestingly enough, only a month after the passing of Dr. George King, on July the 12th of 1997, this suddenly came, came out for the first time ever. And the similarity between the message that he received, and it is, a, I mean, it was in his autobiography, which isn't available in print now. I think it's, uh, it can be, I believe it can, is possibly available on Kindle. But you can go to my website, richardlawrence.co.uk, or indeed you can go to ethereus.org, where there's a blog, and on both of those sites, the excerpt from my book, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, gives the full story of this encounter. We haven't really got time to go into it all on this particular program, which is really about meditation redefined in King Yoga. Uh, but the full story is there. The only thing I'd like to say, and I've never stated this before, and it's only occurred to me, I must say, since the passing of Prince Philip on April the 9th, um, that I think it's possible, uh, have a possible explanation of what exactly this encounter was. So just, just to give a sort of very, very brief outline, as Chrissy said, it was arranged by a general, um, a, a lady called Mrs. Markham, in a very well-to-do area of Chelsea, in a flat. Sir Peter Horsley didn't, wasn't told he was going to meet an alien at all. He was just told this was a very important meeting for him to have with someone who knew about UFOs and aliens, and that was one of his briefs from Prince Philip. I would say that he claimed, both to me and in his autobiography, that he didn't tell Prince Philip about this. Personally, I suspect that he did, uh, and he couldn't say so. Uh, because they're very, very protective about privacy for the royal family over here. Uh, but he says that he didn't. Um, and that's odd, because his brief, uh, as he freely admitted, was to tell Prince Philip about all his discoveries to do with UFOs and aliens. Anyway, he, all he knew, he was having a meeting with a lady where he was going to learn more. Uh, so he didn't know what was going to happen, and he went in, and unlike all the other meetings where he'd be offered sherry and biscuits and so on, nothing was offered. He was sat in a chair. Mrs. Markham sat on a sofa, and in a darkened alcove in the room, there was a person, an individual, a man, sitting there who he couldn't see very clearly because of the dim lighting, and then the conversation proceeded. Um, and the conversation is the interesting thing. Two key things emerged from it. One, the content of the information changed his view of life forever, completely changed his religious perspective forever, um, and also the science given in it 
is very reminiscent of some of the things which are now coming out from the Pentagon and, and elsewhere. Phenomenal speed capabilities of, of what were called then flying saucers. Um, amazing um, capabilities that they had to, for example, overcome death. Uh, their longevity of their life, the speeds exceeding the speed of sound and, and probably the speed of light, many thousands of miles an hour, and a whole vision of God, as I say, which changes perspective forever. A, a God is a virtual unifying spiritual force throughout the cosmos and virtually a cosmic battery from which energy can be drawn. And, and there are many, many other points. Go to my website or the Ethereum Society website and you'll find the full account there. Uh, but this changed his view. The other thing was the power, as he called it, the hypnotic power of the presence in the room was unmistakable to this very discerning equerry of, of Prince Philip. You don't become an equerry to, to the consort of the monarch over here unless you're very carefully vetted and have very specific abilities and intelligence. And he described this hypnotic power and he also said that the individual concerned, Mr. Janus, had the ability to read his mind definitely, read his thoughts, answer his questions before he asked the questions and uh, this just left him with the unmistakable impression that he came from another world. His knowledge, uh, and some of it, even in 1997, had already been proved correct, unbeknown in 1954, which is the earliest date of this meeting. It could even have been maybe early 55, but certainly not before 54. Um, and it, it re completely changed his, his view. And some of the scientific knowledge had been confirmed now, even since the passing of Sir Peter Horsley, even more so. And it's, it's fascinating stuff indeed. Now, I, what's occurred to me for the first time, and which I've never said before, certainly publicly, is I think we have three options about this claimed encounter by Sir Peter Horsley. It, he certainly had no reason to make anything up at all, because if anything, it brought him ridicule and grief from the Ministry of Defence, who didn't like it. That's been admitted. That's come out for sure. They didn't like UFO information coming out at all, especially in those days when they denied. Their first recourse was to deny it and lie about flying saucers. That we now know. Uh, so he hadn't, it didn't serve his interest, so he wouldn't have made it up. The um, individual could have been one of three things, I think. One would be a total imposter. Now, an imposter... I think is extremely unlikely, having talked to Sir Peter Horsley, I fully believe him. Um, if it was an imposter, how could he have had that kind of a grasp of scientific information that was contained in that discussion and published later in the autobiography of Sir Peter Horsley, way ahead of its time? How could he have had that grasp of a cosmic spirituality which, again, has changed as Sir Peter Horsley said, his life forever. How could he have had that hypnotic presence, that great power that Sir Peter could detect, and the ability to read his thoughts and answer his questions before he even asked them? So I think the imposter theory, although we have to raise it as a possibility, I would personally rule out. The second option is that this was a meeting with an alien. Now, that's certainly possible. 
obviously these intelligences, they travel through space. They could easily appear in a flat in Chelsea if they chose to do so. But it's a question then of it being a divine intervention, of the powers, as it were, being used for that purpose. And I would, and particularly since Mr. Janus expressed apparently a wish to meet Prince Philip, I don't really see why an alien would need to go through all those channels of the General Martin, Mrs. Markham, to Sir Peter Horsley in, the, in, in, an, in an attempt to get to Prince Philip. It's possible. I'm not ruling it out. It could have been, as Sir Peter believed, an alien visitor in that apartment. But on the other hand, uh, I do think that such an intelligence, if they were permitted to make an in intervention like that one, could easily just appear in front of Prince Philip in his own apartment or residence. Um, I don't see why that would be necessary. But as I say, it's, it's not impossible. It, most encounters we hear about don't happen like that, be it Dan Fry, be it George Adamski. They appear often in a single-piece suit and so on. Um, and, of course, also you have claims of contacts with the Pope. I believe there's a claim of a contact with Eisenhower. There are other claims around. Um, this would be a rather convoluted way, I would have thought, for an alien intelligence to do it. But what do I know? It's certainly possible it could have happened. But I do think there's a third alternative, which I hadn't thought of before, and I'm now starting to look at as my considered opinion of what it might have been. Sitting in that chair in that apartment in Chelsea may have been Dr. George King, and it might have been that he entered a trance, and the conversation took place between Sir Peter Horsley and maybe the Master Etherius. Now, or maybe another master, but I think the master theorist in that period was the main and possibly only for a while cosmic communicator, maybe using another pseudonym, Mr. Janus, another god, uh, a Roman ending, not too dissimilar, uh, associated with two faces, Mr. Janus, so an interesting possible second pseudonym in order not to connect it directly, maybe. Who knows? I can, Or maybe the name got slightly wrong somewhere I don't know but either way I think that is the most likely scenario and if it is the scenario if that was Dr. King then Sir Peter Horsley was absolutely right he did have an encounter with an alien it just so happened it was what Dr. King used to call a close encounter of the fourth kind a, a religious encounter an encounter where the, the cosmic intelligence is speaking through a medium and uh, that could be why it was a darkened room it could be why no refreshments were offered why Mrs. Markham just sat silently on the sofa and it's quite possible that arrangement was made through those channels uh, Dr. King in that period 54 and particularly early 55 in public uh, was holding meetings in which master theories were speaking through him I want to stress here, this is only a theory. I want to say that this is not based on anything Dr. King ever said to me. He did say to me that he spoke at the home of Lord Dowding, um, who was the former Air Chief uh, Marshal, uh, if that's the correct title, head of the RAF uh, during the Second World War at one point, um, and he did visit him. It's perfectly possible that someone was aware of Dr. King in those very early days and arranged such a meeting 
didn't complicate it by explaining mediumship and so on. And as I said earlier, Sir Peter wasn't told he was going to meet an alien, uh, but indeed he came away believing he had met an alien. So that third possibility, to me, seems to be the most likely, especially when you look at the early teachings that were being delivered through the Ethereum Society and compare them with the message that Sir Peter Horsley said he received from memory, he wrote it all down very soon afterwards, they are very, very similar. They're not identical, but they're and, and allowing for Sir Peter's memory and things. They are very, very similar sets of teachings. And just to finish, it's interesting because Dr. King could not have known of those other than if he'd been there himself because they weren't revealed till a month after his physical passing. So that's my theory of the day, Chrissy. Well, there's a lot to take in, but it's, you bring up so many convincing points, uh, especially about the fact that uh, Dr. King, as we know, was, was taking, receiving these cosmic transmissions publicly in that same area. Actually, in Chelsea was one, one place mm. he did take them. And, of course, he lived in that area of London, too. Not that that was, had anything to do with it, but it sort of all comes together. Mm. And also the fact that Sir Peter had the conversation with you, you know, and you, of course, are very connected yeah. to Dr. King. So this whole story um, is becoming even more fascinating, I think, so it's something to yes, it was a bit of a mystery that, that Sir, the, I mean, Sir Peter, I don't think would have ever known because after this meeting, he couldn't con he couldn't find Mrs. Markham again. Uh, he mm. didn't see. He went to look at the flat and didn't see any sign of anyone there. And he says he didn't tell Prince Philip, although I personally doubt that. And nothing else happened. I. It was such an in-depth conversation that I should think that if it was the Master Ethereus speaking to him under the name of Mr. Janus, that he would be perfectly content that that message would have been relayed to Prince Philip, which is, was uh, probably the intention anyway. And it was an attempt at creating a channel there and giving information. And just before, if it was 1954, months before, the cosmic message went public. Now, they tried the authorities, they tried the Vatican, they tried various people, and then they appealed to the ordinary man and woman uh, through the Ethereum Society. Yeah, it's a whole complete story in itself. It's really fascinating. <laughs> Interesting yes. that this is uh, coming out now, isn't it, since the passing of uh, Prince Philip. Very yes, much in the news. yes. So thank yes, you Yes, I'm sure he's learned a lot since his passing as well. Yeah, it really struck me when you said that Sir Peter Horsley, who you know must have met many, many high-ranking individuals from the royal family and the Air Force and so forth, it, this, this meeting changed his life forever. I mean, that really struck yes. me. Yes. Tremendous. He's absolutely explicit about that, and especially from a religious point of view. Really? Yeah. Uh, that, that, wow. Yes, yeah, it changed his, his perspective. I, I assume that he was, uh, imagine, a Christian church person. Most people were. As he said, uh, you know, until he met Janus, he had a sort of biblical concept of God. But after it, um, he had a totally universal concept with all life evolving from the same or origin. And... Um, you know, he believed that nothing in the universe is destroyed or disappears without trace, only transformation. Uh, that he became more at intellectual peace with the concept of God as a universal spiritual force, a cosmic battery 
from which man could charge himself and required constant charging by man's own spiritual fuel. I mean, it's, it is straight out of the kind of belief system, really, of the Ethereum Society, I would say. It really, it really does seem to be, yes. Well, thank you mm. for that, Richard. <clears throat> I'd love, it would be great yes, it's only a theory. Let me double stress that. It's, it, it, yeah, I don't want anyone to think this is something Dr. King told me, because he didn't. Um, I did hear once from the Hazel Moody, who passed on very recently, and our condolences to her husband and everyone uh, connected with, with, with Hazel, and much as she is very much still alive, of course, on the other realms. But she did tell me once that she knew that Prince Philip had been told about the Ethereum Society and had been told the cosmic message. One of those two, and, and she wow. never elaborated on it. Maybe she didn't know how, but she somehow had been told that had, it, word had reached Prince Philip. And that was when That's I first great. met Hazel, of course, mm. yeah, who joined the society in 1958. Yeah, so mm. she would be very aware of anything like that, certainly. Mm. Well, thank you. It would be great. Well, to I think we should move more, on, shouldn't we? Yes, I think yeah. we're going to have to go on to the main um, topic today, a fascinating topic, and I'd like to introduce, ask Richard to introduce this topic, which is meditation redefined in King Yoga. Yes, well, meditation, I mean, first of all, let me just say that um, I personally have written books, I have done CDs, DVDs, and run numerous classes in meditation, under the name of meditation. And what I've been teaching has not been the meditation as, un as understood and taught uh, by Dr. King, and indeed in, in cosmic transmissions like the Nine Freedoms and so on. Uh, it's a word that's taken on another meaning. Even when Dr. King used to speak about it, he said the word had been slaughtered on one occasion. And it's clear from looking at his early years, even just after the command, actually. In, so we're back in, in May uh, of 1954. Uh, and the next day, he had a, a conversation with a guide who was trying to give him some input on what the command might have mean, meant through another associate of his, through another medium. The guide suggested he meditated, and Dr. King replied to the guide, Surely you mean concentration in my language and not meditation as I know it. That's a tremendous feat you're asking of me. This guide was suggesting he meditated for four hours. It will certainly take everything I've got. So you can see that even in those days, in, and the, the conversation continued, it was quite clear even this guide didn't really understand meditation in the way that Dr. King did. He always had this very, very elevated concept of meditation. And so, as redefined in King Yoga, it, the sort of meditation most people think of, often called mindfulness and so on, I see that as a therapy. That's like a therapeutic right. exercise. It's a relaxation. I've taught it myself at times. It's really got nothing to do with true meditation at all. It's just a name people give it. In this country, you can even get it on the National Health Service, maybe in America too, I don't know. But it's not the path to enlightenment. I'm sorry to disappoint some people. It certainly can help people through life. Um, I see it to a degree like sticking plaster, and we do need sticking plaster when we're bleeding. 
Um, and you know, also it can help to cope with stress. It can help to cope with insomnia. Uh, people tell me, you know, when I've taught them, it's they've overcome insomnia. There's lots of benefits to it. You can get a certain level of peacefulness, not the ultimate level, but a certain level. And this is helpful. So I don't want to in any way disparage it, but it's not really what meditation is. Um, traditionally, to find that, you'd have to go to the aphorisms of Patanjali. Um, I don't know if some people pronounce it Patanjali, but I say Patanjali. But those sutras or aphorisms, uh, thousands of years old, all of Raja Yoga, all the great yogis, I mean, Vivekananda, Sivananda, whoever you care to name, they all look back to those aphorisms in which the eight limbs of yoga was taught. I would say that those very great eight limbs of yoga, which, by the way, were practiced and used by Dr. King prior to the command. We have to remember, actually, it's relevant in a way to Mr. Janus, if, if I'm right in that theory, because the transmissions we have are a result of true meditation. They're, they are somatic, trance-based communications. I don't know of any other medium who's used samadhi in the way that Dr. King defines samadhi um, at all. And that gives them their accuracy. Uh, if you're a trance medium, your average trance medium, uh, using a light form of trance, or even a, perhaps not a light one, a deep form of trance, but maybe a negative form, in other words, not positively yogically induced after uh, 10 to 15 years of training, um, then Dr. King said it would be 75% medium and 25% guide. Uh, that would be coming through. Maybe if you're lucky, after some yoga training, 50-50. And in very, very rare cases, after 10 or 15 years of training, 98% guide. Uh, what Dr. King did, as a result of being able to attain true meditation, samadhi, uh, he was able to give us as near 100% as you can get. In fact, the, I think it's described, or his state is described, his condition is described, uh, by, uh, in the day the gods came, as pluperfect. So I would take that to be 100%. Um, but that's, that's unique, completely unique. Anyway, I, I diverse. So without going into all these limbs of yoga, I do notice, by the way, we're pretty well halfway through the show. So perhaps we should have a break, yeah. Chrissy, hand over to Noemi, and then come back to what meditation really is as defined in King Yoga. Sounds good. Thank you. Well, thank you, Richard and Chris. It all sounds very uh, interesting. Um, you are listening to Aetherius Radio Live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze speaking about meditation redefined in King Yoga. On 18th of April at 12 midnight GMT, satellite number three came into orbit of Earth. And during this spiritual push, also known as magnetization period, all spiritual or unselfish actions are enhanced 3,000 times. So you are warmly invited to join in with our services held during this period to flood our world with much-needed spiritual energy. So please follow the link from aetherius.org forward slash online services to join in. And on Wednesday, 21st of April, that's tomorrow, at 7 p.m. BST, there will be a King Yoga Experience event on the topic of the Ageless Ascended Masters of Earth. And this event will be streamed from the Aetherius Temple in London. 
to tune in, just follow the link from ethereus.org forward slash events. I'm now pleased to hand you back to your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thanks, Noemi. Oh, Richard, Thank you, I Noemi. One, I just had one question, which maybe you're going to cover. But obviously, we're talking about meditation, the true meditation, um, the samadhi, as it's called. And, you know, many masters talk about samadhi, obviously. But I wondered uh, if you could explain um, what exactly it is in, in Dr. King's concept. Certainly. Before I do, the Ascended Masters event which uh, Noemi just announced, is going to be delivered by Noemi. And we strongly recommend it. And every one of those ascended masters, of course, has attained samadhi, uh, has, if if you like, practiced the aphorisms of Patanjali, probably long before they were given to earth by Patanjali, as a matter of fact. Uh, Because some of them are hundreds of thousands of years or tens of thousands of years uh, they've been among us. Um, so, sorry, coming back, yes, what is Samadhi? So, as defined by Dr. King, often Dr. King speaks of it in terms of Kundalini, um, uh, the mystic force we've talked about before on this uh, program, and, of course, in the aphorisms of Patanjali and in Raja Yoga, actually, you might be surprised, people might be surprised to learn, there's no reference there at all to Kundalini. Kundalini is a particular... Uh, branch of the science of yoga, a very advanced one, indeed, the very essence of why we're here. But in his definition, it's the raising of the kundalini, that mystic serpent power, through the central channel in the spine, at least to the Christ center or third eye in its entirety. That's the sort of technical definition. And Dr. King, as we know, is very scientific in his approach to metaphysics. Um, but from a, a mind point of view, in the eight limbs of yoga of Patanjali, it's the cessation of all lower mind um, and, and the manifestation of that which is ultimately beyond mind. Because, of course, there's a one state even higher than this, and that is cosmic consciousness, uh, where, we, where the individual, I should say, because it's way beyond my uh, pay grade, but the individual has gone beyond mind. Does, does that answer the question properly, Chrissy? Yes, thank you very much. I, I'm a big fan of Swami Vivekananda, and he does refer to Samadhi, yeah. and I believe, and I'm sort of simplifying it, but he, he talked about bringing the mind into a higher superconscious state of vibration, which is kind of what you're referring to just now. So okay. that's very different yeah. from what Dr. King taught, so thank you. Well, well, the I mean, Dr. King would have fully agree with that, of course, that, that definition of Vivekananda there that you gave. Um, but I suppose the point is that in the limbs of yoga, I mean, there are many, there are some preliminary limbs which we haven't got time and we don't really need to go into. We have the nine right. freedoms. I think the first three freedoms cover, in, you know, directly or indirectly, all the sort of yamas and niyamas as they're called in the eight limbs of yoga. And then you have um, various steps. They have the asanas, of course. Go on. I'm sorry. Um, the yamas and niyamas, they're sort of the way to give the way to live, right? Am I correct? Um, with you, they are, uh, but the, the, what I, I, suppose the, I suppose the point is this, is that the purpose behind it was to attain enlightenment for yourself. Right. You, the individual, to attain samadhi for yourself. 
And, there are, and you know, if you look at Vivekananda and certainly Sivananda, there are various degrees even of samadhi that are taught. But in Dr. King's definition, he goes to the top. I'd say there's one state beyond it. That's cosmic consciousness, but he takes it to the absolute peak. And I think it's because he was so advanced, even when the command was given, as I mentioned earlier, that he was way ahead, even of guides speaking through people or whoever it was. Um, But what's changed totally, and this is the main thing to say, I think, about meditation redefining King Yoga, is that now the emphasis is on service. So to answer your question about the Yamas and Niyamas, yes, they are good behavior of various kinds um, uh, which, are, which are taught and are encouraged and things we'd all agree with. Truthfulness, cleanliness, you know, not killing, um, celibacy is included, study, worship, others, things of that nature. But they're all designed to free you, the individual, from attachment um, and so that you, you can progress on to enlightenment. Now... A fo- the focus, well, let me use the words of the Master Aetherius, actually, in the transmission from free will to freedom. A thousand years ago, it was meditation in the silence. Today, it is service in the clatter, service in the foulness, in the smell, in the ignorance of mankind. So your purpose is different. Your purpose isn't primarily to gain enlightenment for yourself. Your purpose primarily is to serve others. But the good news is that that path, and he's unequivocal in the transmission from free will to freedom, which is available both in print and it's available in audio form as well, through the Aetherius Society, Aetherius.org. He's unequivocal that you can, through service, raise this power in its entirety up to the highest centers, and uh, I'll give the exact quote here from that it's positive rays come down that's the karmic rays and the power moves in its entirety up through the centers your brain and mind become open to the forces latent within you and you become all powerful and all knowing so it can that can now be attained through service it's no longer necessary to go into long prolonged periods of what was called meditation in the lead up to samadhi. Uh, now, you know, when you are ready for samadhi, or as the Master Six put it in one part of the Nine Prisms, when meditation is possible, that immediately makes it uh, an elevated thing and completely different from most people's understanding of meditation. Then, of course, one would need to, to, to practice it just in order to gain samadhi. But leading up to that stage, it's not a required practice. And that's the big change. I suppose if I was to to sort of pinpoint the big change, it's that the final three limbs in the eight limbs of of, of Patanjali are called Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. The final three limbs, as it were, in in the path to enlightenment, and and you'll see this in the fourth, Freedom by Mars Sector 6, and you'll see it in the lectures by Dr. King. Brilliant lecture, concentration, contemplation, meditation. The final three limbs are concentration, contemplation, meditation. So that penultimate one, Dharana, is replaced by contemplation. Now, if you look at Vivekananda, who you mentioned there, or if you look at Sivananda, or pretty well any other yogi, they will be referring to meditation as equivalent to dharana. 
So it's right, moved yeah. up a level. You see what I mean? Yeah. Now it's contemplation. And that contemplation doesn't have to be done on an inner, inward looking, in an inward-looking manner. That contemplation, which is also the stage where psychic powers come to you and where, according to the nine freedoms, the door to enlightenment opens. A lot of people have missed that. It opens at the contemplation stage, not at the meditation stage. Yeah, that's in the fourth freedom. Now, at that stage... Uh, you can do this in an expressive way. You can do this through service. You can do this through, you know, because that's the stage where you start to draw mind to yourself, which is not, uh, you know, uh, readily accessible through concentration. Your concentration has become so intense that you start to, to know. I mean, the abilities of someone who can contemplate correctly, fully, are outstanding before we get to samadhi at all. Uh, I think Dr. King says you could know um, from a Turner painting, you know, that all about the pigment of the paint, what went into the uh, frame in which it was made, the thoughts of the person um, who made the frame, never mind the person who did the painting. Um, it, it's it's a, a vast stage, the dharana or the contemplation stage, but it now can be done actively through visualization through healing, through prayer, through teaching, but you can still use your contemplative abilities to enhance your service. It can be done through service, any form of service. Yeah. Your service will Sorry, enhance go on, your please. contemplative abilities as well. I suppose it's interesting. Of course, both ways. absolutely. You're, what you're saying, it, and it, I, you know, brings to mi- it just brings to mind so vividly the Osiris Society's very motto, service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. It's Everything you're saying is, is kind of bringing it so vividly to me. It's yes, very, and very you know, I, I will admit that for many years, I, I sort of, uh, I think I'm very sort of ingrained. I mean, the day before I found the Ethereum Society, I decided to dedicate myself to the aphorisms of Patanjali. And then I found the Ethereum Society and I knew it was more important. And so I didn't. Uh, I was almost slightly disappointed at first, but I I knew what I had to do, and now I'm delighted that I did it. But all these years, you know, at times I thought, perhaps to gain samadhi, there's something else one needs to do other than what we're doing, the 12 blessings and the healing and the mantra and the things that we do in the society. The visualization, which, by the way, is extremely important and which gets missed out, actually, in a lot of yoga traditional anyway yoga teaching not straight i mean it is it is there if you look for it but they don't sort of look at harnessing the power of the imagination so much it's it's a raja yoga is all about cessation of the mind into stillness and then when the mind is completely still of course what do you have you have spirit uh, as you move lower mind, you go, as you said there about Vivekananda, to superconscious mind, and it can then it will come through. But it was that kind of emphasis. But in the the King Yoga or the New Age approach, whichever phrase you want to use, it's it's a transmutation that's taking a place. It's a transmutation upon the mental, the plane of inspiration. Called, now, let me get it right. This is from memory. The transmutation of the mental energies upon the plane of inspiration called high intuition. That's what uh, is defined in the fourth freedom that takes place after the contemplation stage. Yes, yeah, so interesting. And if people want to learn more and about the done. nine freedoms, then I, as a plug here for your wonderful um, program, oh. your blog, 
uh, spiritual freedom. Please do listen to that. Thank you, Chrissy. What I what I'd like to encourage, um, you know, particularly not. I mean, we always welcome new listeners to Ethereus Radio Live, but also to our experienced um, members of the Ethereus Society uh, and staff members who've who've been serving for a long time and may have fallen into a trap. Which I want to say, I mean, I'm not judging anyone because I think I fell into it a bit myself. That we've kind of foregone, we've kind of given up. Uh, on on that because we're doing something more important, more important to the world, and we're here to serve, and we can't then do the types of exercise, the types of practice that would be required to gain samadhi, to raise the kundalini, and the answer to that is not so. You only have to look at the transmission uh, from Master Theorist from free will to freedom, as I mentioned earlier, and I mean he says in there. The, the people are searching for a way to wake up the three-and-a-half-coiled snake, uh, referred to as Kundalini. We know that many are searching for, for the activation of this force may bring unto them great powers. Um, skipping bits, he says, you, wish, you can wish you know for great miraculous powers. They won't come to you through wishing alone. They'll come to you when you're ready to use them correctly. They will come to you when you band together and work in selfless service for others. And you that, that's the end of the quote, but you don't really need anything else. The things that we are doing, the healing, the 12 blessings, the mantra, the, uh, all the, the various, the, some of the visualizations, very important. Because, you know, people think about, with the traditional sense of pranayama, and then there's a stage after pranayama. Pranayama is the fourth limb in the aphorisms of Patanjali. The fifth limb uh, is prachahara, which is detachment from sense objects. There's a particular exercise brilliantly com compiled, I would say, by the master in his breathing exercises in Realize Your Inner Potential and Contact Your Higher Self Through Yoga. The sixth exercise there is really a practice in prachahara. Then you move on to the, to, to the final stages, the, the concentration, the contemplation, the meditation, and those, or, or as they were, you know, dharana, which was called meditation, then samadhi, when they, when they had that as your penultimate stage, now it's changed, as I mentioned earlier. But the point I'm making here is, yes, you will draw prana to you, and, and I personally do it every day, and I recommend it. Breathing exercises will draw prana to you, will start to cause, especially with certain visualizations that are in the book, uh, 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 which are not in contact with your higher self through yoga, but they are in realize your inner potential, you can start to activate very much that rising of the energy up through the spine, through breathing. But, this is the point I want to make, when we visualize uh, energy coming down to us from satellite number three, which is now in orbit of our Earth, as Noemi mentioned, when we're drawing this energy down to us, that too will start to cause the rise of Kundalini. And that's done through visualization, not particularly through breathing. Uh, you are drawing that energy to you by visualization. You're bringing it down, shall we say, to the heart center. Well, when you focus on a particular chakra, when you activate a particular chakra, there's a magnetic attraction of the inner forces, the powers, the dormant powers, towards that chakra, which in this case would be in most of our, for most of us upwards. And also, of course, some of the energy might come down uh, and bombard 
the kundalini at the base of the spine uh, and that too will start to activate it and cause it to rise upwards and all this is promised as a definite fact by the mastery theorist in the transmission I mentioned uh, he, he calls satellite number three in particular a battery above your heads and he says it could be tapped by you uh, when you open your heart and live as human beings should live in service for other human beings and when you do this you draw down to yourselves a great energy which vibrates you in such a fashion that you become a more whole and a more holy cell in the body of the great whole and of course let's remember this is me speaking now that enlightenment in the end is a, is a state of vibration it's not a state of intellectuality uh, you will have a fine intellect if you're enlightened but it's more a state of vibration and then the master theorist says this so that you may send your branches outwards into the high aspects of mind and draw down unto yourself great wisdom now sending your branches outwards into the high aspects of mind is surely among other things a reference to the nadis the channels within us it, you, those are the branches surely the one meaning of them anyway through which we tap into a higher mind higher chakras and great wisdom wisdom being enlightenment and then he says when this happens great powers will be yours so the good news for those members I was mentioning and staff members and new people alike is there isn't like a missing key there isn't something else that we actually need to be doing we just need to be doing this and if we do this enough and I can say this on Ethereus Radio Live, surely. If we follow the Ethereus Society path, sometimes called King Yoga, enough, it's a quick path. It's not a slow path. It's not Karma Yoga, by the way. That's a misunderstanding. Some people think it's just another King Yoga is another phrase for Karma Yoga. It is not. Uh, karma Yoga is the height of it, yes. But not the Karma Yoga as taught in the past. It's a very much more potent version infused by the cosmic missions we perform and the direct cooperation we have with cosmic masters that makes it completely different from some of the karma yoga performed in the past I'm not deriding it I'm just saying it's very different and of course King Yoga includes other aspects of yoga too it includes all of the main ones actually it includes uh, Nani Yoga if you go to some of our seminars you are learning great wisdom that's Nani Yoga uh, if, and this will help you in your service but it's still Nani Yoga uh, if you go to uh, practice certain forms of, uh, of visualization and control of the mind and certain other practices you're doing Raja Yoga of course you are uh, kundalini yoga in essence could be practiced not the type of dangerous kundalini but certainly certain visualizations uh, are included those mantra yoga king yoga is a is comprises many many forms of yoga all of which came through dr. King or from dr. King either from what he learned elsewhere compiled by him or with his own take on it that's what king yoga is and that's a quick path uh, if it's done intensively enough and that's the point and there isn't something else people need to be doing because the mechanism is there it's technically possible and it must happen to quote the master of theorists again we can rise kundalini or the dormant power in its entirety now that's that's a, as big a promise yeah. as you can get from a yoga point of view
Oh, that's so inspiring, Richard. Yeah, I can certainly I can relate to that so well because I was one of those people who thought so was I, I probably will have to leave the higher states uh, to another life, and probably I will. But this is so encouraging and so uh, promising to all of us. And looking back, I mean, I think I have experienced. I'm sure many other listeners who've been around uh, practicing this for decades, as, as Richard and I and others have. Uh, will recognize that we have evolved in our prayers and our healing and our service. And we have had at times these mystical experiences and, and so on. And as you say, I think a lot of it I have found is to do with the intensity of your service, the, the pressure, the, the heart too, um, bringing the love into it too. And yeah, mm-hmm. certainly I can found, but I hadn't really thought about it, Richard, until you've explained all this. Um, very, very well. It dawned on me quite recently myself. It suddenly struck yeah. me because I thought this is really great news. I mean, this is um, you know the, the, we are doing everything we need to do. I mean, I, I, there's a quote actually which I came across, in which uh, Dr. King said in, a, in an early lecture that the teachings of great martyrs like Patanjali, the aphorisms which are up to the moment have been, we might say, theory as far as the masses are concerned, I think these will be put into direct activation. And he was talking about in the Aquarian age. And I don't think he meant by that that you've got to follow all those eight limbs as taught, because I think, like everything else, they have been revolutionized uh, by the nine freedoms and the other cosmic teachings. But the essence in them still stands. It manifests in a different way. Uh, you go, th- you you reach that goal of samadhi in a related way, but a different way. All because service is now the priority, and of course, if we manipulate karma, then the then then we deserve the great powers to come down through us uh, when we heal and when we pray for others. Love energy, if you like, love energy is. I mean, in the second freedom, you know, it, it, true expression of love energy is is through the heart center the throat center and the Christ center. So right there, in order to send love to others correctly and fully and properly, you're activating those three psychic centers. Yeah. Uh, you know, once you're above the solar plexus center, I think, this is my opinion I'm giving now, once you're above the solar plexus center, you are then sort of starting in what might be called the early stages of samadhi. Not the stage that the Master defines and brilliantly writes about in the Nine Freedoms. He explains Samadhi in the Nine Freedoms. I strongly recommend it in his commentary. That's the highest level. That's where it's raised in its entirety to the Christ Center. But you're starting to move beyond that when you've controlled your contemplative abilities. You're transmuting the mental energies. And that, according to the fourth freedom is, is done through and this is again from memory but I'm pretty sure it's this, it's through strict control a lot of us can work on that through manipulation of your karma through service and then three priceless words I've often wanted to give an address on and these are the three words and so on <laughs> <laughs> so there That's are other things we have to do 
Well, there are things we have to do. They're not really worthy of mention, I feel. Or Mar- it's brilliantly put, I think, that by Mars Sector 6, if I may humbly say, because he, he says all, you know, they aren't important enough to name, but they have to be done. So, I, you know, I think they're the things we have to do. We have to keep fit. We have to, you know, have our, be able to live. We have to pay the bills. We have to do, we have obligations, personal ones, and things we have to do. That's the and so on. It all has to be done right as well. But the main things he picks out are service and strict control. And that's when you're moving from the contemplative stage and you're transmuting the mental energies. You're, you, 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 you're, not, you're not manifesting psychic abilities because you've got to go beyond those. You know, you can't go beyond them till you've got them, of course, to a degree at least. But then you transmute them. Uh, that's what we're told. And that's the process where you're moving very much towards samadhi, I would say. Wow, there's a lot in there, Richard. Thank you. And of course, during as we're I in think, the spiritual push, I don't know, with prayer, I found that the 12 blessings I ha- has a completely different effect on me than regular prayers. So if you're doing the 12 blessings in the spiritual push, I mean, there's great opportunity there for advancement. And that, of course, is not our motive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's great. I mean, you see, what we tend to forget, because, you know, our people are wonderful people, if that doesn't sound patronizing. I think all the people, whether they're members of the Ethereum Society or sympathizers or, in a way, particularly people who don't know much about us, but they think, I want to help. And they join in with our online services and we're getting wonderful attendances and we're doing them every day. We've been doing them every day through this whole pandemic, not just for the pandemic, by the way, for other world situations as well. But this is making an enormous difference and people do it for the right reason. They do it to serve and it will serve because it's the only crisis on earth, the spiritual energy crisis. But, of course, in the process, and there's nothing wrong in knowing this and even being motivated by this in a secondary way. It's not the primary thing, but it's, it's a secondary thing. You are going to activate the, heart, the centers. You are going to be raising energies. You are going to be drawing the powers upwards because it's an inspired activity. And the, 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 just the very fact that, as I said earlier, you're visualizing the energies going through the heart center, you're moving then your, your focus above Right there, the solar plexus. If you can, and if some of them go through higher centers than that, all the more, all the better. The more activated these higher chakras are, the more the Kundalini will tend to rise in their direction, and the more, we, the nearer we're going to get to samadhi, and what meditation really is. And I, I think it's a strange thing to say, but it's almost like because. You know, in order to meditate, you don't need to meditate. It's not quite that, but you don't need to meditate in the old sense where a thousand years ago where, you know, uh, the great Millarepa would go off into a cave for years and then you've got to hand it to him. He didn't much like hanging around the village. He, he wasn't uh, going <laughs> to perform local service there, but he knew if he became enlightened, that would help the world as a whole, and I'm sure it did. And he set his mind to doing it, and he went off and he did it in, in, in a retreat, thousand years ago approximately. That was the order of the day that could be done. Today it wouldn't work. You wouldn't even get there. You, you, you know, and you, you come across people, and I've come across like a very, very famous New Age teacher who speaks about enlightenment, and, has, and I'm sure he's helping people. But it's not enlightenment in the true sense as per the fourth freedom. It might be a state of peace to a degree, yes. It might relieve them of a lot of their worries and stresses, and they get a better perspective on life, yes. But it's not the true 
meditation as defined in King Yoga. Yeah, and we can expect uh, these mystical states when we're doing our prayer. I was just reading the other day, yeah. Richard, about our master. You probably remember he was praying for the Korean War, and he was praying for about an hour. Yes. And he felt his whole body became light, and then he started to fly around the room. Um, yes. He wasn't, he wasn't aiming to do that, but he was just no. aiming to pray for Korea. You know, so that just reminded yeah. me of, of what you're saying that. We can expect, if we really do it with intensity, not necessarily this right away, but we may receive these highly elevated mystical states along the path towards samadhi. It's very exciting. You know, I'll tell you something that's very true, and I'll tell you something that, that I've pondered about and wondered about, and that is that you've got a lot of very brilliant people, brilliant in, in, you know, as far as terrestrial values are concerned anyway, in terms of their concentrative powers in, in various yeah. fields of endeavor. It might be sport, it might be law, it might be medicine, uh, you know, it could be a whole variety of ways. Um, but they don't gain powers. Why not? On the whole, mm-hmm. I and mean, there are always exceptions, but on the whole, why not? Well, one thing, of course, is that it, 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 most of them, those such people, buy into the whole materialistic scheme and aren't motivated towards spirituality and so on. But there's, a, I think, another very technical, practical reason why. And that is because they don't believe in contemplation, the contemplation stage. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that they're capable. So if you, let's say you had a brilliant historian who was studying, I don't know, the American Civil War, whatever it might be, and they, they, or let's say the French Revolution, and then they started to, re- they knew it well, they really concentrated, and they started to gain impressions about, let us say, the motivation of Louis XVI or uh, Robespierre or some other person in that situation were coming to them. They were starting to realize certain things uh, in a contemplative way, in a psychic way, but as a result of their concentration, because concentration leads unerringly to contemplation, and contemplation ultimately will lead us to samadhi. They're all different degrees of concentration. Concentration doesn't stop. Oh, I'm, now I'm contemplating, so I don't need to concentrate. Not at all. You need it all the more, and that's why Dr. King said meditation was a great effort for him. It was an effort of concentration. It's always there. But why don't, doesn't that historian then become psychic? Because simply, he thinks, if he's starting to get impressions, they're his imagination. He doesn't believe he's capable of that. Or, or, or anyone else in any other field. You might have a, 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 a lawyer. Now, a lawyer, legal profession, in my opinion, is slightly questionable from a moral point of view anyway, because they have this thing, I'll represent my client, yeah. uh, regardless of whether he's innocent or guilty. And, of course, they don't really want to know if he's guilty, because that would be more difficult, I suppose. But if they really focused, they had great concentrated powers, they'd start to know things about their client. They start to know things about whoever the client was up against in the court, and even about the judge. But they wouldn't believe they could know. Now, you'll get exceptions, like some detectives. Maybe your father, I don't know who was a detective. You know, they get a hunch, and they follow it. So you, 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 people invent a kind of a language in different I've got a feeling about this. I've got a good feeling about that in business. These are psychic impressions that people are allowing themselves to believe in. I picked up your vibe. I picked up a thought from that person. They'll use psychic expressions without believing they're psychic, and that's how they cope with it. And they'll get so far but they won't really accept the whole gamut of what contemplation brings you 
which is to really start to know these things so they block it off so in blocking it off they block off their concentration as well at that point this is now my imagination and so they'll never progress onwards towards samadhi beyond that point and you do get i mean that's why i think the master of theory is called universities frustration centers because they're frustrated at a certain degree of concentration which should then have been every historian should be a psychometrist every archaeologist should be a psychometrist yes every psychotherapist should be clairsentient You know, these are abilities that should be part of the work, but people don't believe they're capable of it, and so hence they block it off and they'll never progress to that stage, never mind the next one. And then on the other hand, you've got lots of psychics out there who can't concentrate. I'm sorry to have to say that very well. And so they're making all kinds of mistakes, and they they think it's psychic when it's their imagination. You've got the reverse problem with some psychics. Anyway, Chrissy, I think we may have run out of time, but we could talk at length, could we not? Very, very interesting. Thank you so much, Richard. It's really a brilliant interview. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chrissy. And over to Noemi. Thank you very much. Uh, Noemi, for the announcements. Well, thank you very much, Richard and Chrissy. It was a really fascinating show. I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it too. And for the next show, on 18th of May, our hosts will be discussing the initiation of the solar system. And if you'd like to find out more on the facts and publications mentioned in this show, please visit our website, aetherius.org forward slash shop. And you can connect with Richard through his website at richardlawrence.co.uk where you will find the link to the full story of Sir Peter Horsley's meeting with an alien as published in UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message. And Richard did a few interviews on this topic and you can listen to one of them on the League Project. Uh, The link is on his website. Please also check out Chris's website at astrologycity.com, which is also full of fascinating information. So we truly hope that you have enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening.